happy Sunday and Christmas Eve to you all. How y'all doing? We are testing your memory. You get about a second and a half glimpse of a screen and you get to memorize all the words. And then the computer has epilepsy and sorry, technical difficulties. What can I say? Bethany's doing her best and I am blaming the adult center. It's on their side of things. We've tried multiple cables. She's doing the maybe a computer restart, we'll see. Uh, we do need to blame somebody. That's how humans work. We're blaming somebody, and it's not us. Merry Christmas. Well, if you'd like any more information about Union Church, you can go online, unionaz.org. There's a connect card there on the front page, or you can fill out the paper one in back. Uh, Anthony would love to meet with you. His calendar's open tomorrow, 8 a.m., coffee at his place. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Anyways, there's not a whole lot to say. We're a small, simple, newer church uh, that is looking to follow Jesus. And so for those visiting from out of town, welcome. For those visiting for the first time, welcome. Uh, I, I'm just putting it out there. We're, we're not impressive. Uh, we're not cool. Um, but we love Jesus a lot. And cookies, too. So, yeah. <laughs> So what I'm going to attempt to do is wrap up our series. We've been doing four weeks on the incarnation of Christ. Uh, kids, you can take this word and put it in your little, little, tiny, baby, cute, shallow pocket uh, of those pants that are too tight, that are uncomfortable, that your mom made you wear this morning. Uh, incarnation means uh, God, 100% God, 100% man. Christ, incarnation. He takes on flesh. Carne, flesh. Carne asada. The best kind of meat. <laughs> Incarnation. So we looked at the arrival of Jesus. We looked at the life of Jesus. We looked at the death of Jesus. This week, we're looking at the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And I'm going to attempt to do that in about 18 minutes. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, pray, and see what God has for us this morning. Paul writes and says, Now I would, would, would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is God's word. Let's pray. So, Father, as we now look at uh, your story, what you've done and accomplished, we ask that you would continue to uh, cheer our hearts with the good news of who you are and what you've done. And so meet us in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So yet again, and I, this is almost the same introduction for every single Easter and every single Christmas Eve, as we ponder the story of Jesus, the question comes, really? If the story of Jesus was just an arrival, a life, a death, and it ended there, then it's just another case of mental illness manifesting as a Messiah complex. 
And, and that isn't terribly uncommon in the world. In fact, there's an entire Wikipedia page that is dedicated to claimants of Messiah. If there's a documentary about it, Anthony and Beth have probably watched it. Um, we went to Austin earlier in the month, and I come into the living room. And I'm like, what, is, what are you watching? They're like, oh, it's some cult documentary. Cool. I'm going to go on a run. Tell me how it goes. There's plenty who have claimed to be Savior. But what's unique about Jesus is the resurrection and his promise to return. If Jesus didn't rise and promise to return, the whole thing is ridiculous. And I love that the early church has enough self-awareness to recognize that. In this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, one of the longest chapters that we have from Paul is he's reflecting on the resurrection. He has enough self-awareness to go, look, if Jesus didn't rise, this whole thing is bonkers and we're wasting our time. He says so much in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who are, have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. C.S. Lewis reflected further and he says, A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be, and this is one of the best sentences ever written, on a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so if Jesus indeed did arrive, live, die rise and promise to return, then that changes everything. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead, that is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so this is the promise of Advent. This is the promise of Jesus, that he came, he lived, he died, he rose, and he promised to return. And what we're going to look at this morning is the three things that this brings about in the story of humanity. It brings about reversal, it brings about rescue, and it brings about renewal because they all have to start with an R. So first, <laughs> reversal. We see in the story that God created everything good, but sin in Genesis chapter 3 broke everything. Everything on earth is touched by the curse. We sense that in our own lives. We sense that in our own relationships. We sense that in the world as we experience. And as we've probably sung and at least heard shopping through the store, it's the most wonderful time 
of the year. And you're like, yeah, until I have to go shop at Costco during this. And I have to park at Petco for a parking spot. Where have all these people come from? We sense the tension that, yes, it is glorious, but it is broken. Why do we experience stress, yelling, coping with it all, uh, perhaps with a bottle of some sort of your favorite branded beverage, uh, or sweets? And you're like, nail it. We go, we're having family over. We are, like, my body position is now, like, just, ah, there's so much going on. Why do we feel that? Because to sum it all up in a sentence, things are not as they should be in our lives, in the world, in creation. It's just not Eden. Is it great and glorious and good? Yes, good gifts. I don't want to be a Debbie Towner perpetually. We showed my, our boys that SNL skit this week. It was, it was quite enjoyable. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. However, we know it deep in our DNA. Things are not as they should be. And perhaps that was even you getting ready to get out the door this morning. And what we see is that God sees that. He knows that. He enters into the story and reverses the curse and its effects so that one can truly sing joy to the world. How can we sing joy to the world in the midst of how things really are today with wars going on, with tension in our own lives, with just the angst that we feel because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. It's the third verse in Joy to the World that is often dropped out, but it's one of my favorites. It says, let no more, or no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. As... He comes to make his blessings flow. Thank you, Matt. Far as the curse is found. The Lord leaned into the chaos. He leaned into the pain, he leaned into it all, and he offers rescue. He meets us and offers us rescue and reversal of this curse. How do we get in on that? Some of you parents this week are going to have the, the effects of the curse of taking the gift codes that your kids get for video games and trying to figure out how to put that into the system. You're going to feel it. <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus' invitation and entry into this story is so much easier than that. Than the, you know, reading through the fine print, you know, before you click accept. It's so simple. And it is this, that Jesus meets us with rescue where we are and as we are. So, so he reverses the curse and through reversal offers humanity rescue where we are and as we are. The good news of Christmas is not up in the clouds, but it meets us and it looks us, he looks us in the eye where we are and as we are. There's a poem I came across this week by Richard Beck called Incarnation and the first line strikes me. He says this, I arrived to find myself already loved. I arrived to find myself already loved. A forgiveness preceding 
exceeding my first crime and my last. A prior mercy, a predestined grace, anticipating my shame, a welcome offered, a healing before the pain. I had imagined it to be my task to close the distance between us, to cross the chasm, scale the height, my fault dictating my duty, though futile and impossible. But I looked up, hearing the angels sing, to find you already here. Jesus meets us where we are, as we are. The good news of Advent's rescue is that it's personal for everyone. It's communal. It's for the entire world, and it puts together a people, and it touches all of creation. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's everyone, and everything within his creation that he gave. He, He sends his son as a gift, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This rescue meets us where we are, as we are. So you go, okay, the curse is reversed. The the tide has turned, okay? Jesus reaches us where we are, as we are. But why are things still broken? Because we aren't there yet. I imagined it as though it's kind of like living in an RV while you're waiting for your new house to be finished. And I don't know if any of you have traveled in an RV. It's a wonderful, terrible experience. You always come back with multiple things to fix. Some of you are laughing because you've done this. Every time you travel in an RV, something breaks. It's inevitable. But it's experiencing this like, yeah, we're living, but it's not fully as it should be finally. And Christ is preparing a place for his people. And one day he's going to return and make all things new. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, as those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the promise that Jesus will return and renew all things fully and finally. Now, obviously, in 18 minutes, I am not going to cover the entirety of this text that has been debated for thousands of years about exactly what it means and the timeline of all of that. But here's what's consistently agreed on, is that it says Jesus will descend, we will be together with him, his presence will be with us, and that is meant to be an encouragement for God's people. I like that. I don't need to get in the weeds today. Again, get coffee with Anthony tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. He's ready for you. He makes a a killer latte. And right now, in this life and in this time, we have signs and we have smells 
of this renewal that is coming. We have signs and we have smells. The, the smell of baking this time of year, you're like, oh, I know it's coming. Whatever it is you bake, cinnamon rolls, sugar cookies, whatever kind of delicious, wonderful thing, that scent is what is to come. And we get that in this life. We get signs that are pointing in the direction that he is going to return and he is going to make all things new. N.T. Wright says, we must remind ourselves yet once more that all Christian language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into a mist. Signposts don't normally provide you with advanced photographs of what you'll find at the end of the road, but that doesn't mean they aren't pointing in the right direction. And so we see that in this resurrection of Jesus, in his promise to return, there's reversal of the curse, there's rescue provided for people, and there is a coming renewal. What we see is that this Jesus is one who leans into the mess. He leans into your mess, where you are, as you are. And he loves us there. He, he meets every single one of us with compassion and kindness. God knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to grieve. And he meets us there with kindness and compassion. And then Jesus leads us towards life and wholeness now and forever. That's why it resonates within our hearts when we sing the hymn, Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds roll back as the scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord will descend. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's the, the promise and hope of Advent. It, it locates us in the tension in the in-between of Jesus who has come to us and has promised to return, and in our angst and in our mess and in our joy and in our celebration, and it orients us towards who he is and what his story leads us towards. And so what are the ramifications of that? The so what, who cares of Advent? Well, the themes of Advent rise up when we see the story as a whole, and those themes are hope, are peace, our joy and love. When we see Jesus and his promise to return, that gives rise to hope of what is to come. It brings about a peace knowing that he is in control and he is going to make all things new. He's got it all in the palm of his hands. He knows and he's near. It brings about joy that even though there's pain, there's still goodness, there's still grace, there's still good gifts to enjoy right before us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And finally, it brings about a love because if we see and reflect on this selfless, sacrificial, good, perfect love that Jesus has shown us, then it frees us up to love imperfect people all around us with a similar sacrificial, selfless, all of life kind of love. And so may the good news of Jesus meet us where we are, as we are. And may this story of Advent orient us towards loving well where we are.
Fleming Rutledge says this, in a very deep sense, the entire Christian life in this world is lived in Advent, between the first and second comings of the Lord, in the midst of the tension between the things the way they are and the things uh, the way they ought to be. I want to close with this, Revelation 21, verse 1 through 8, as we get an image and get a glimpse of what Jesus is going to accomplish. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then it promises judgment, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus promises that he has judgment, and he will make all things new. And it, the good news is, again, it's in his hands. So may we see him, may we trust him, may we follow him, may we enjoy him this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of this story. That you reverse the curse that was brought in Eden. That you provide rescue for humanity. And you promise to renew and make all things new. All things right. All things good. And so as we wait in this in-between, we ask Jesus that you would reorient our hearts towards your love. That this morning it would, reflect, uh, it would replenish us and refresh us and renew us and send us out into our homes, into our community, into our work with love. Many of us this morning are, are worn out and tired from the hustle to get to this point. And so I pray, Jesus, you would meet us here with your love, with your hope, with your joy, with your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.